and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. For those of us who had hoped that this spring would be defined by less chaos and more excitement about life gradually returning to normal, the news has been really disappointing lately. Although more and more people are getting their vaccines, and I now can include myself in that category. On Monday, I got the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. The rollout of vaccines has still felt uneven and confusing for a lot of people. We're also in the middle of a really big surge in cases and hospitalizations, similar to what we saw in the fall and early winter here in Michigan. And just yesterday, federal health officials have requested a pause in deployment of the Johnson & Johnson vaccines due to very rare but serious blood clots in some people. This news is even more troubling, perhaps, because it looks like vaccine hesitancy is proving to be a pretty serious barrier to getting past this pandemic. And misunderstanding of the true risks of getting a vaccine is really rampant. Tonight at 8, WDIV Local 4 is going to hold a live hour-long special to provide up-to-date information on vaccines from medical experts. And it's called Coronavirus Crisis the vaccines. WDIV Good Health medical expert and Henry Ford Health System emergency room physician Dr. Frank McGeorge is going to host that special and he joins me now to talk about all of this. Dr. Frank McGeorge, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Good morning, Steve. So I first want to get your take on what you're seeing as an emergency room physician and what you're thinking about as you read, like all of us are, uh, the news about these surges uh, and this growing crisis right here in Michigan. What are we seeing and why is it happening? Well, you know, I think that gives me a very unique perspective because I don't just um, see it in the same way that the average person does. I'm seeing it on the news and in the emergency department. And I can honestly say this weekend in the emergency department and prior weekends in the emergency department have increasingly felt much more significant and much more um, uncomfortable than previous weeks. And by that, I mean, it's very clear and it was very clear to us that hospitalizations and hospital utilization because of COVID has resurged in a very substantial way. Um, the number of cases that the state has reported have obviously been going up. But I think, you know, where the rubber meets the road is really in hospitalizations, because, of course, hospitalizations ultimately will lead to more intensive care unit stays and ultimately might lead to more deaths. And what we've noticed is that this go around, that is, you know, with this spring surge that we're experiencing, hospitalizations have a, a slightly different component with somewhat more younger people than before. So before we would historically see more people that were over the age of 70 than we are this go around. This time, the majority of hospitalizations are actually in the 40 to 69 year old age group. So we're not really talking about super young people because, you know, obviously up to 69 is still reasonably old. But generally speaking, the vaccine effort seems to have changed the mix of hospitalization rates. Um, I will say in the emergency department just this last weekend, I actually put more people on the ventilators than I have 
in many, many, many months. I mean, even over the winter, I wasn't really even intubating as many people as I did this past weekend. Um, So things are really significant. And I will say that uh, some of it probably has to do with the fact that people are not behaving responsibly. And, you know, I would add to that, the governor has basically, I think, made a decision that she is not going to mandate public health measures. That means people need to act responsibly on their own and follow the recommendations for safe behaviors. And people have not really done that as well as I think they could, based on what I'm seeing in cases and hospitalizations. Hmm. And why is this happening? I think that's the question that's on everybody's mind right now. We were supposed to be on the edge of getting back to things being normal. We were supposed to be kind of basking in this post-vaccine pandemic, which was going to look really different from what we'd experienced over the last year. But as you point out, things in some ways look exactly the way they did quite some time ago when we didn't have a vaccine. So, so what explains that? Well, and that is the craziest thing, because if you look at the map of the United States, Michigan is an incredibly bright red hot spot. Um, and so there's something that's going on different here than in many other parts of the country. Other parts of the country are seeing a decrease. We have seen a substantial increase really over the last month or so. Um, one thing we do know is that variants are an issue. I mean, there's no question about that. Unfortunately, every state has different programs in terms of monitoring their variants. So Michigan actually has a very solid program that does genetic sequencing on a lot of cases. So we show a large number of variants because we've done a lot of sequencing. Other states aren't showing the same numbers because they're just not looking as hard. Um, B117 in particular is obviously a huge issue. We knew that was going to be a huge issue coming out of the winter because it was already predicted that by March that would be the dominant variant um, in the United States. The one thing that I will say, though, is on top of variants, um, there is a a component of human behavior. So if you add those two together, you have a more serious problem. Now, one other thing that goes into the mix is that um, some experts have opined that It has to do with the fact that Michigan had a very low case count for a longer period of time than many other states in the United States did. And so we may have had a lesser percentage of essentially naturally infected and essentially now naturally more immune people than other states. And I'm not really sure how well that argument holds up because I'm not really convinced that we have had a significantly lesser degree of natural infection than a lot of other places. Um, In fact, if you look back to last spring, I mean, we're talking a full year ago, Michigan was one of the hottest spots as well in the country. Um, So, you know, our natural immunity um, in the population is probably fairly similar in my mind. But the point is, all three of those factors together are probably what's accounting for uh, the, the significant increase that we're seeing this go around. But there may be some other factor that we just have not identified yet. Um, and frankly, as you point out, that is kind of the million-dollar question, because if we knew what that factor was, maybe we could do something uh, that was more effective to counter it. Unfortunately, right now, we are left to just let it run its course, yeah. which is frankly not the best route, given that hospitalizations are increasing to a dramatic and dangerous pace. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm talking with Dr. Frank McGeorge. He's an emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System and also the good health medical expert for WDIV Local 4. Uh, We're talking about uh, an hour-long special that uh, WDIV is going to be airing tonight called Coronavirus Crisis, the Vaccines. Uh, Dr. McGeorge is one of the hosts of that program. Uh, We're talking about what's going on right now here in Michigan with uh, with the surge of COVID cases, with the vaccine rollout, which is kind of happening in fits and starts here and, and around the nation, uh, and talking about what's next. Uh, we had all so hopefully anticipated that we would be in a really different space right now than we are. Uh, we're wondering well, whether we'll get to that space anytime soon. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us why you think the situation in Michigan is so bad right now regarding surging cases and hospitalizations. What effect is that having on you and the things that you're deciding to do? As I said earlier in the show, we were all really hopeful that this spring and summer would look different from last year. Uh, in terms of what we were able to go and do and be together doing, uh, are you are you as confident that that's going to be the case right now, or are you, uh, as I am, uh, pretty hesitant to to get back to too many things before uh, the COVID cases get uh, under control and before more people get vaccinated. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you in the program uh, that way. Also, give us a sense of what you're thinking about the vaccines, this pause in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, I'm worried, is going to worry people more than they should worry. Uh, are you one of the people who's looking at that and and really taking a pause yourself uh, about vaccines? Um, or are you all in on the idea that the vaccine is really the only way to get to the other side uh, of this pandemic? Uh, as I said earlier in the show as well, uh, I am now fully vaccinated. Uh, I got my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine on Monday. And uh, I am one of the people who is out here really encouraging people uh, to do that. I think uh, there is no other long-term solution to this pandemic than for people uh, to get this vaccine. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Dr. McGeorge, you interviewed Dr. Anthony Fauci for tonight's special on vaccines, and you talk about why he thinks the situation is so bad here in Michigan. What are some big takeaways from that conversation, and what's your own assessment of the vaccine picture, uh, not just here in Michigan, but but nationwide as we have this federal pause in the, the J&J vaccine? Sure. Well, I actually had a fairly lengthy conversation with Dr. Fauci. It was really, uh, it was really interesting and, and insightful. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways, at least with regard to the specific question of why Michigan is so hot right now, is that, frankly, no one knows, including him. Um, he made it very clear that, you know, some of the same themes that I talked about before are what he thinks might be going on, and that's variance, personal behavior, um, uh, COVID fatigue. Uh, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, no one completely knows, including Dr. Fauci, who is, um, you know, obviously privy to a great deal of data in the United States. Um, 
so you know that that I think is is an important message that that this is still a bit of a mystery as far as why Michigan is seeing the incredible surge that it is. Now, um, relative to the vaccines, you know this this special that we're doing tonight um, is incredibly timely. Um, obviously, it was you know it, it had some planning even before yesterday's announcement from Johnson and jo- or from the FDA and CDC, I should say, regarding the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. But you know this is um, a an incredibly important topic um, right now. Vaccines are absolutely essential for our ability to move forward. And I understand why people have concerns and hesitancy about the vaccines. And I am not someone that minimizes them at all. I want to address them head on because I think that for people who are concerned, the concerns need to be addressed legitimately. And I honestly do believe they are legitimate concerns. And I just want to put a, a finer point on the Johnson & Johnson issue right now. So, you know, the, the halt or the, the pause that was, that was instituted yesterday or recommended and then subsequently instituted yesterday is really based on a very small number of very unusual cases. Specifically, we're talking about cerebral venous sinus thrombosis in the setting of low platelets. Mm -hmm. And that's like a whole big mouthful of things. And essentially what that is, is a clot in the brain, the veins draining the brain, that are related to a low platelet count, which is also related to a sensitivity to heparin. And that's a big deal because normally clots are treated with heparin. So that's part of the reason that the FDA and CDC wanted to put this pause out there was to notify clinicians, medical providers, that this is not treated in a standard way. Heparin is not a good idea. So, you know, that was part of the issue. But the other issue is clotting problems have essentially been something on the radar of the FDA because of um, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which has not gained approval in the United States or authorization in the United States, and the fact that there were some clotting problems that were seen even in the initial trials for the emergency use authorization that Johnson & Johnson submitted. So clotting problems are highly on the radar for adenovirus vector vaccines, which is what Johnson & Johnson is. And I say that specifically because there should be a lot of daylight between the Johnson & Johnson adenovirus vector vaccine and the Pfizer-Moderna mRNA vaccines. They are completely different vaccines. That is, they operate by completely different mechanisms. The adenovirus vector vaccines may turn out to have a clotting issue that needs to be um, thought about more carefully or differently than anything related to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. And I guess, again, my emphasis is there is no concerning signal with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines whatsoever regarding side effect or adverse effect profiles. Hmm. Uh, But do you worry that the pause, the federal pause in the Johnson and Johnson vaccine really confuses people and adds to this, I guess, growing maybe uh, vaccine hesitancy. I mean, I, I know a lot of people oh, yeah. who are who are still on the fence about this, and I feel like this news does not push us in the right direction. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, clearly, um, you know, people have concerns, and so when there's new things that are raised, the concern um, level only amplifies. But there's a couple of important points to that. First of all, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is actually a solid vaccine, and these are extremely unusual complications. And the fact that they're putting a pause on it really only emphasizes that that regulatory agencies are paying 
more attention to any potential adverse effects and really trying to get a handle on them so that it is as safe as possible. So people should have actually even a higher degree of confidence that things are being attended to properly. Um, so, you know, that, that's, I think, a, a critical point. The other, of course, as I mentioned before, is Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are in a completely different category and they need, <coughs> excuse me, and they need to be maintained um, in a in a different light than any of the concerns regarding the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. 180 million doses of Pfizer and Moderna have been administered in the United States with very little consequence. And you know, and by that I mean there have been the occasional uh, allergic reactions, for example. But overall, the safety profile has been exceptional with 180 million doses. Johnson and Johnson, in contrast has had a very small number of doses administered in the United States. Um, and to be more specific to Michigan, for example, of the 5.4 million doses administered of vaccine in the state of Michigan, only 200,000 doses were Johnson & Johnson. That's like 4% were Johnson & Johnson. So the vast majority have been Pfizer and Moderna. Um, and again, we haven't seen any safety signals there. Mm. But of course, you're absolutely right. People that have concerns are going to naturally have concerns, and that's why I think we, as a medical community, need to address them as aggressively as possible. Um, and, you know, I'll, let me give you an anecdote about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, my son is in college at the University of Michigan right now. I love my son dearly. I want the best for him. He actually developed COVID recently in the last couple of months. Um, recovered uneventfully, and he asked, well, should I get the vaccine? And I said, yeah, you should get the vaccine, um, but you can wait a little while now that you've been infected. And so he said, well, which vaccine should I get? And actually, this was uh, a little while ago. I said, you should get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because, A, you've already had COVID, so you have a degree of natural immunity. B, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a single shot, works great, just be done with it, get it and be done. Um, and somebody asked me yesterday if, now that Johnson & Johnson is on a pause, whether I would advise him something different. And the fact is, I would still tell him the same thing. I love him dearly. I want the best for him. And I would absolutely still say, yeah, you should still just get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because mm -hmm. it's a single shot. And you can be done with it. And you already have a degree of natural immunity from having been infected. And part of the reason for that is he is not at all um, in any of the, the question categories with regard to Johnson & Johnson. He's not female. Um, he's, you know, he, he has no concerning clotting issues. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no reason he wouldn't be eligible for it. And I say that even before the advisory committee committee on immunization practices meets today, um, they may have some recommendations or they may just open it up and say, yeah, we, we think that, you know, the six cases are something we're just going to monitor and don't need to worry about. But the point is, um, I still have full confidence in the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and would recommend it to my own son. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that is a very important recommendation, right? Uh, a physician saying, look, I would recommend that my own children take this even with this pause. That's a, that's a, a stamp of approval that, that really matters. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Frank McGeorge, and we will get to your calls and comments. Jerry and McComb, Alex in Northville, Bernadette in Old Redford, you're up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dr. Frank McGeorge. He is an emergency room physician at Henry Ford Health System and the Good Health Medical Expert for WDIV Local 4. WDIV is airing an hour-long special tonight called uh, the Coronavirus Crisis, the Vaccines, and Dr. McGeorge is one of the hosts of that program. We're talking about what's going on with COVID-19 right now, not just here in Michigan, but all over the country. Uh, of course, we have the big surge here, uh, and uh, we have federal officials now saying that uh, they're going to pause the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of a few cases uh, of blood clotting in uh, people who receive that vaccine. We want to hear from you about uh, where you think we are in the pandemic, whether you think we're as far along as you anticipated we would be by spring of 2021, uh, or are you disappointed uh, that we are still grappling with some really serious issues uh, with regard to COVID, especially here uh, in the state of Michigan? Uh, give us a call. Let us know what's going on with you. Also, what the pause in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine makes you think about vaccines. Does it make you a little more hesitant to go and get one? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you that way. Let's start with Jerry in Macomb. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Um I was something I was thinking about is um, if we're trying to like slow the spread, um, like everyone's not working, uh, going to work, like a lot of people are working from home and things like that. Um, and some people just aren't working. But like if you're at work, you might see like the same like five or 10 coworkers every day. So they're the same people. But then if you're not working and like you get like stimulus money or whatever, um, now you're going into like a packed store, like people in retail that I've talked to, they, they'll tell me like when that money comes in, everybody like floods to the store. So it seems like, uh, that's worse for slowing the spread. If everyone's like, you're in, you're in a store with like a hundred people that you don't know, and you're not in regular contact with rather than like going to work with like the same 10 people every single day, mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, would that be the case, or Jerry? Great, just leave it like that. Great question, uh, Doctor McGeorge. Uh, what's the well, answer? Yeah, you know, I think people need to go to stores. Obviously, um, you know, and if uh, you know, life needs to go on to a certain degree, um, and so that's where mitigation strategies come in. So that's why we emphasize that maintaining a, an appropriate amount of distance between individuals, wearing a mask, um, hand washing, that kind of thing really increases the safety of required interactions. Now, you bring up a good point, though, that when stimulus money, for example, comes in and people rush out to whatever store they, they go to to spend it, um, you know, there might be an increase in traffic. Um, in that kind of setting, I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves during a time of crisis like this, where there are increasing cases, is whether those trips are necessary. And that's, I think, an important distinction. So, you know, way back in, in the summer, for example, when we had sort of a smoldering number of cases, um, you know, last summer, I would say, okay, you know, that's a time when you should just go about your business with ordinary mitigation. Um, but during the time right now with these high levels of cases, we need to think twice about doing things that are not 100% necessary. 
and think about limiting exposures wherever possible. And I think that's really what it comes down to when we talk about personal safety and personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Again, Jerry, thanks very much for the call uh, and the question. On Twitter, Stephanie says she's a female in her 40s who has had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Should she be concerned and what should she be looking for? I think that's a really uh, important question, Dr. McGeorge. What, what would you counsel in this case? Yeah, that's actually a critical question. Um, and I think the simplest way to address that is, first of all, relative to time frame from the vaccine. The, um, the cases that occurred of this particular clot occurred within three weeks of the vaccine administration. So if you are outside of three weeks from your vaccine, don't worry. The, the, the incidence of these episodes is zero. If you are within three weeks, the main thing to watch for really with regard to this complication is a headache, any kind of neurologic complication, blurred vision, for example, weakness on one side of the body or the, or, or the other, that kind of thing. Clotting abnormalities we worry about as well in general. So things like leg swelling uh, to suggest a DVT, things like shortness of breath to suggest a pulmonary embolus. They've even thrown abdominal pain on there to suggest clotting within some uh, splankness or, or, or gut blood vessels. The point, though, is we're looking for evidence of clotting abnormalities within the first few weeks. But regarding this one specific complication, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, really what we're talking about is a headache. And unfortunately, any of the vaccines can cause a mild headache in the first 24, 48 hours. So I would put that aside. If it's a persistent, severe headache, that's something that you would want to be seen for. But I have to emphasize again, this was six cases out of 6.8 million doses. Mm-hmm. So your odds are, you know, less than one in a million. Um, if you went out and bought a lottery ticket, not to be not to be um, glib about it, but if you went out and bought a lottery ticket, you'd probably have just as much, you know, opportunity um, to, you know, to to be on on one side or the other as as you know this situation. So I, I guess I wouldn't really worry about it to an extreme degree is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephanie, thank you very much for the question. Let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. You know, I'm thinking we talk about financial literacy and focusing on education and other fields. We need some health literacy. Hmm. It seems that most people are getting their education from CSI or House or ER. But let's talk about infant mortality, diabetes, heart disease, lung cancer, stroke. So when you contrast the six deaths that have happened from blood clots with the deaths that happen from these routine diseases, six is unfortunate for the people who are dying. But relative to how many people die routinely from other diseases, mm-hmm. I think we got to put it in perspective. Yeah. Bernadette, I'm really glad you called and uh, offered that perspective. Uh, Dr. McGeorge, you know, in- information is, is the thing that, that powers understanding. And, of course, at Local 4, you guys are, are doing your part with this hour-long special tonight and, and your reports during, during the news. But Bernadette's right that, that a lot of people aren't getting – enough of that information and are not making really good decisions uh, uh, based on the facts. Yeah, well, actually, and I want to clear up a couple of things. First of all, we're talking about six cases, not actually six deaths. There's only been one fatality, and of those six, um, only one is in critical care. So one death, one critical care, um, four that are not in critical care or dead. So we're only talking about six cases. But you're absolutely right. And I think 
you know, that's something that the COVID-19 pandemic in general has brought to the fore is, you know, not just um, uh, the current situation, but the fact that a lot of things have been put off with general health care. Um, it's brought racial and um, other health care disparities into play. Um, and it's also, I think, um, in the healthcare setting emphasized the need to bring fight or uh, bring health literacy up. Um, one of the things that has become abundantly clear during this COVID-19 pandemic is that people do get their information from the craziest places. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean, you know, television shows. I'm talking about, you know, random Facebook comments, random other social media posts. Um, people aren't turning to trusted, reliable sources nearly as much as I would have thought they would have. And, you know, that was somewhat obscured to me before because, you know, I would talk about medical topics that really only affected um, a certain percentage of people. So if I, even if I talk about heart disease, although it affects everyone in some way, people were more focused on, you know, on it than some people were more focused on it than others. When I talk about COVID-19, everyone is interested in it. And I can see the effect that social media has. And it's perplexing to me that so many people turn to, frankly, unreliable or highly questionable sources of information. Um, So, you know, to broaden that out, I guess really what I'm getting at is moving forward as we come out of COVID-19, I 100% agree. We need to talk about health literacy um, across all forms of communication, and we need to get people to trust reliable sources and not turn to, um, I think, questionable sources as readily as they have been during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dr. Frank McGeorge, it was really great to have you here with us on the program. And reminder that that hour-long special on WDIV is tonight. Coronavirus crisis, the vaccines. Dr. McGeorge, really great to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. We're going to take a com- we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have a conversation with one of my favorite guests here on the show, Desiree Cooper, journalist, author, and activist about caregiving and grieving amid the pandemic. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.